Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the El Dorado Performing Arts Center. All right. Good morning, Vox. How are we? Good. Wow, it's really bright in here. All the lights are on. All right, don't worry. I'm not teaching again. We're bringing in the big guns today. Carrie's up. Yes. Um, so welcome um, to Vox. It's good to see you guys. We A uh, couple things before we go to Q&A. Um, if you participate uh, financially with us and want to help us keep the lights on, there are participation boxes uh, on your way in and out um, that you can use to do that. And also, uh, if you would like to step in um, one of our volunteer teams, whether that's with kids, greeting, setup, tech, any of those things, uh, voxoc.com is the place you can go uh, to do that. So uh, we have one question this morning, and it's so good, and it's multifaceted uh, that we're just going to tackle this one. And it's picking up from last week in the story of Zacchaeus. And so um, if you were not here, you can watch that on our Facebook or on the Vox podcast, Vox Community podcast. Um, but let's take a look at this question. All right, let's go to the next one. Here we go. I always look forward to hearing Will speak. Well, thank you. The traditional interpretation of the story of Zacchaeus has always bothered me. How can a person pay back four times the amount? Zacchaeus could only pay back one quarter of the people he cheated. It's a good question. All right, I think Will is onto something here about cultural assumptions and saving the lost, beginning with Luke 15 through 18. The theme seems to be on the lost. And then the last part, like I said, multifaceted. These are such great questions. Jesus made it safe for Zacchaeus to belong. Even if he was a tax collector, we cannot hate a person because of their position. The tax collector has been justified. And then this is, I thought, a great way to end this question. Has tradition stereotyped the Zacchaeus story? Okay, wow, that's a lot to unpack. So let's back up, if you would, to the very beginning of this. Okay, any numbers people out there? You're good at adding numbers in your head, percentages, things like that? I don't see a single hand. Okay, there's one. Um, I'm terrible at numbers. However, I love the way they're thinking with this because what Zacchaeus says is two things. He says, I'm gonna give 50% of all I have to the poor. And then secondly, he says, if I've ripped anyone off, I'm gonna pay back four times the amount. And if you're doing that math, okay, let's say Zacchaeus, he starts by giving away 50% of his assets. Then even if the total percentage of all his assets that he's gotten from ripping people off is only 13%, he can, can't even fulfill giving back four times. Did I just lose everybody? Okay, your silence says yes. Okay, let me simplify this. See, I said I wasn't a numbers person. I'm proving it. Okay, Zacchaeus could not give away 50% of his stuff and then go after that and give four times back to every person he ripped off. He'd be out of money. He would be in the negative. And so this person's wondering, why would he say that if it's impossible? And the answer, um, I'm, I'm thankful they asked this because this was something I, I wanted to touch on but you always have to choose, okay, what's most important? What do I have time to cover? Um, the answer to this first part of the question takes us kind of back into the first century, into how ancient Middle Eastern people communicated, and more specifically, how they communicated their sincerity. And the way that they would often do so is through exaggeration, which for us seems insincere, so it's almost the reverse of what we would assume. But for a Middle Eastern person who wanted to make it really apparent, I mean this with all my heart. Exaggeration was the vehicle through which to do that. So there's actually another example of this in the New Testament when King Herod, it's kind of a sleazy story. He, his daughter is dancing at this banquet in front of all of his guests. And it says that King Herod was pleased with her dancing. And so then he, he goes and he makes this promise to her publicly and he says, I will give you anything you ask up to half my kingdom. Now was Herod sitting there actually meaning, please ask me for half of all of my own, I wanna give it to you. No, he's exaggerating to show 
that he meant what he was saying, that this offer was real. And so going back to Zacchaeus, this sort of exaggeration where Zacchaeus says, I'm gonna give away 50% of what I own. If I have cheated anyone, if I have robbed them, then I'm going to give back four times. What he's doing there is he's making it clear to his community, who, by the way, have hated his guts up to this point. He's saying, I'm going to make this right. I know that I have been working against justice, but I'm going to be an advocate for it. And I think the ultimate proof that he's sincere comes from Jesus's affirmation. Today, salvation has come to the house of Zacchaeus. And so, great, uh, great kind of starting point to that question. Okay, um, second thing, I love what this person noticed. Uh, let's go on, or actually at the bottom. She says, I think we're onto something here about cultural assumptions and saving the lost, beginning with Luke 15 through 18. Okay, if you remember, Luke 15 is that threefold parable uh, about the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. And so this person's noticing, wow, there's a theme in the book of Luke about God pursuing what is lost, about God having a heart for the forgotten. And that is absolutely right and absolutely beautiful. And you can trace it even farther back than Luke 15. The entire book of Luke um, has this theme of the gospel is for all people especially the marginalized. You know, the beauty of having four gospels is that they each have a slightly different perspective. And so you could have four friends tell you the same story. And the basic facts would all be the same, but each friend as they retell the story is gonna emphasize something slightly different. And that's what we see in the four gospels. And so Luke's emphasis is always on the marginalized. And there's these beautiful themes that flow through his book. So even from the beginning, when Jesus' mother Mary learns that she's going to give birth to the Messiah, she sings this song and listen to one of the things she says. This is Luke chapter one, and it's a preview of what the whole book is going to be about. Mary says this, God has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. There's already reversal at work. The fact that God sees those who no one else sees, that God cares about those who no one else cares about. And then Luke chapter two, who are some of the first people to get the news that the king of the world is to be born? Lowly, no-name, dirty shepherds. So you see it's from the very start of Luke's gospel to the end, through the story of the lost son, through uh, the story of Zacchaeus. It just permeates this whole story. And again, if you, if you feel like you have God's put in you this passion for the marginalized and the forgotten, then Luke is a gospel that you just wanna read through again and again. And Jesus' heart for those people is going to shine through. Okay, one more aspect. Uh, let's go to the last part of this question. Has tradition stereotyped the Zacchaeus story? Okay, I would wanna know, well, what tradition are you referring to? I assume maybe just big, general, the Christian tradition. And then um, I would wanna know what stereotype did this person have in mind? Um, I think usually, like I shared last week, when we hear about Zacchaeus, we think it's kind of a cute story. It's a children's story. There's a song associated with it. And it's about a guy who climbs a tree and who meets Jesus and everything gets wrapped up neatly at the end. And what we did last week was we actually peeled back some of those layers and we discovered some of the nuance and some of the dynamics behind the story. We, we saw how hated Zacchaeus is and why. We saw why climbing a tree was a, a shameful thing. And, and so what we're doing there is we're taking a story that's familiar. And unfortunately, when things are familiar, sometimes they become one dimensional. There's a pop version, like kind of a pop culture version that we get used to hearing. And it's easy for us to look at the story through our um, modern lenses. And that's all that's happening here. So I would say the stereotypical version of this is a key story. You still get that Jesus saved him. You still get that he was considered a sinner. It's just that we went from maybe a black and white picture to full color HD. And it's helpful to do that. Um, I teach a class on New Testament backgrounds. And one of the 
most common reactions as we're getting started in the class, people feel overwhelmed and discouraged because they're like, I don't know that background stuff. I would have never gotten that and it's just really overwhelming. And what I always tell them is, scripture is clear. God wants us to get it. And so it's not that if you approach the Zacchaeus story not knowing those background issues, it's not that you wouldn't understand it. It's not that God would not speak to you through it. It's just taking something that maybe has become a little bit one-dimensional and what backgrounds and culture does is it brings it to life. And um, just to get practical, if you're interested in a starting place, um, a great book on this is Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes by Kenneth Bailey. Um, If you're someone who's like, man, I wanna take these familiar stories and I wanna go a little bit deeper with them, then there's there's a great one. And um, there's plenty more if you wanna talk to me after service. Okay, thank you. Amazing question, so many aspects to it. Um, Please help me welcome our teacher for today, Ms. Carrie Garcia. Yay, what a great. Hi guys, what a great welcome, Miss Carrie Garcia. Yay! Um, hi, I'm so glad to be here this morning. Um, for those of you that are new, I'm one of the teaching pastors here. My name is Carrie Garcia. Um, fancy way of introducing me. I just got back from Thailand two days ago. So, what day is it? What time is it? <laughs> um, I've actually gotten pretty good at uh, at time travel. Um, so I am actually present and here with you today. Um, but I, you know, Ronnie texted me on Tuesday and was like, "Hey, are you going to be at the meeting today?" Because we have a staff meeting on Tuesday. I'm like, "Well." I'm in Thailand, so no. He's like, oh yeah, that's right. Do you know what you're speaking about? I'm like, well, I'm in Thailand, so no. I'll have something by the end of the week, I promise. And so I have zero slides for you today, but I do have something to share with you, Um, but I just don't have any slides, so I do apologize um, for those of you that really need those slides and like to track. Um, I will give you the scripture that I'm gonna share, but we're just gonna roll today, okay? We're gonna roll. I'm dressed, that's a good thing. I was just sensing this morning that um, we just need to spend a few moments, maybe it's just me, but to just spend a few moments in prayer this morning. And um, look, I don't know where you come from or how you got here today or how you heard about this or if you come all the time. I know some of you do. I see you, Susan, good to see you. I see Jack in the back. He always sits there. Mr. Liz and Jack, they've got their spot. Um, So I know a few of you, Um, but I don't know all of you, but I know all of you are desiring something new in your life. I know you're desiring freedom in your life. We all are. And so I don't normally do this, not for any reason, but uh, today I just felt this sense that before we dive into what I feel God would like me to share with you this morning, I just want to spend a few moments where we could ask God to just come in to maybe some fragile places in our heart this morning, where we could just spend a minute or two and allowing God to just kind of start to soften what feels hard. And this week's been a hard week. I've had to sit in some things that have forced me um, to be softer. And um, that's not always comfortable because it feels vulnerable and exposing. Um, But there's freedom in the softness. There's Jesus in the softness. And so um, would you just bow your heads? I'm not asking, I'm not trying to control you right now, but I wanna invite you um, into a moment where we can just allow the Holy Spirit to just come into this place. So if you would just bow your heads and if you're new here today, and maybe you don't know Jesus at all, and maybe you just decided to try church. I just want you to know that um, you can sleep for these next few minutes if you want. <laughs> um, but we just want to invite—we just want to invite Jesus into some of the harder places of our hearts this morning. That I believe that He has—he has a message for us that He's always speaking. So God, I'm just going to ask that I invite you, God, into the places of my heart that feel resistant. 
the places of my heart that feel rebellious, the places of my heart that feel fragile and wounded, the places of my heart that feel abandoned and rejected. I just ask God that you would just come into this moment and this beautiful place, Vox Church, where we humbly come into this space. So many of us, I think all of us, just don't have all the answers. And God, I'd ask that you would come into those places of confusion and hurt, that you would come into those places of dreams and triumph and victory, in the places of small little embers of fire that want to be ignited for you, but just feel small. Would you come into this place this morning, God, where we experience doubt and we question and we don't understand and you seem far? As our world feels overwhelming and our borders don't feel secure and our world feels so big and we feel so small, would you come into that place, God, and just meet us here? We know that you want to speak, and maybe for some of us, we haven't heard you in a long time. Would you meet us there, God? Would you make us tender? Would you break our heart for what breaks yours? Would you give us a moment today, God, where we could just feel you or be in your presence or hear your word? or be encouraged, or be moved towards change. Help us not leave here the same. Give us a moment, God. I pray this for me. (laughs) I pray this for my brothers and sisters in this room. And we thank you that we have access to a throne, to a king that calls us his child. In Jesus' name, amen. I went to Thailand. Um, I feel like I just need to share with you guys a little bit about why I even went to Thailand and what I even do. I think most of you guys are like, I don't know what you're doing in life. And fair, I don't either. Um, I run an organization called Freedom Movement. It's a nonprofit organization that I don't share about very much here because... This is, that's, it's irrelevant. But um, I do do that. And we, through Freedom Movement, travel the United States and globally to share the love of Jesus in radical ways and make Jesus accessible to people who wouldn't normally like Jesus. So we do that. And we do that through a tour. And uh, we toured, this will be our fourth tour coming up in September. Um, and we are on, gonna be on a nine month tour um, and I'll be traveling. I only leave once a month, so I know a lot of you are very worried about my schedule. So I'm gonna put you at ease. Um, I only leave once a month for that. I do also travel and speak in addition to that. And I get to be one of the pastors here. I'm very blessed. And it's also weird. I don't even know how my life is this. Um, So one of the things we do on tour is that every year we partner with another nonprofit and we give 10% of our ticket sales to that nonprofit and we introduce that nonprofit on the stage at every tour stop that we do. And we do this because most people that come that don't know Jesus are hesitant about Jesus or jaded by the church. When they come to our event, we share with them by just them showing up, even if they hate Jesus, even if they don't believe what I believe, that just by them being there, they contributed to rescuing or helping someone on a global scale. So we don't believe that freedom is just for Americans. We believe that freedom is a global idea that God cares about globally. So every year we do this. And this year uh, I was contacted by an organization called World Help. And they contacted me um, kind of out of the blue and said, hey, we're picking seven influencers throughout the United States to come and see what we're doing in Bangkok and Pattaya, Thailand. Uh, It's in the sex trafficking industry, and we'd really love to have you come. And I said, what kind of influence do I need to have? Because I have very little. And they said, you'll do. 
great. Um, so I went with seven other people um, on this trip. They completely paid for me to come go and see this and do this as a hopes that this would be something that I would choose to partner with for the tours that I do. I was with seven people who have way more influence than me. Their platforms are bigger, much bigger. Their churches are very big. And, uh, and then there's me. <laughs> and I have no idea why I was there in the sense of platform. But God knew. And I love that God chose me to be there, not because of how big my influence is, but how God uses the misfits to change the world. And I am the foremost. So here I am with all these influencers, <laughs> seven, all over the United States, only seven, picked from all over, and I'm representing California, <laughs> which makes sense. <laughs> and we're gonna go into Thailand and see what World Help is doing with their partners in Thailand for rescuing girls that are caught in the sex trafficking industry. Now, this is a hard topic to talk about. Most people shy away from it. They do not want to sit and talk about it. It's uncomfortable. It brings up weird stuff in our own lives. Um, it's not a fun topic. Last year, we rescued babies in India, and that was fine. Everybody loves that. Everybody's like, oh, save a baby. I want to help a baby live. They like that. Rescuing girls who dance in clubs and are prostituting their body, not as easy of a sell. So me being me, I'm like, well, yes, that's the one I want to do. So I went there and I didn't know totally what to expect. I knew it was going to be hard. I had a few people praying for me because I knew it was going to be difficult. But if you would allow me um, to share with you, I will not give you the ugly, gory details because they're there. I will keep it very PG. But um, I would love to be able to share with you for the next 20 minutes, not how I changed Thailand, but how Thailand changed me. Um, <laughs> So I'm going to try to get through this. I'm a little tired. <laughs> and, uh, and it was really intense. It was the most intense thing I've ever seen in my life. It was the most intense thing I've ever had to walk in and see. But what I got to see was incredible darkness. Darkness unlike anything I've ever seen. Poverty unlike anything I've ever seen. I've been to India. It's a lot of poverty. I've been actually all over the world. And there was something about Thailand that took my breath away. As we walked the streets of Thailand and went into several what they would call bars, they are not bars. They are absolutely a mecca for exchanging um, women um, to do things that I can't even, would just not be appropriate to share with you. And I couldn't understand, you know, I think through the grid, and I think we all do think through the grid of American culture. We understand things and poverty through the idea of um, there's always a net. You know, if you're poor here, and, and, and I'm not diminishing the pain that we experience here by any means, please hear my heart on that. Um, because pain is pain, it just comes in different packages, and I never want us to compare like, well, they have it so much worse, I shouldn't sit in the things I'm experiencing. That's not what I want to say. But what I do want you to understand is there's a level of suffering there that most of us will never know. That when we're poor here, there's government aid, there's help. When you're poor there, there's nothing. You are just poor. That there's not a pimp there, poverty is the pimp. That when you take away someone's choice, when there is no choice, you will do things that maybe you never thought that you could do. So what was hard for me to understand 
to the grid of my culture is why, why put yourself in this situation? I, I mean, why not go get a job here? Why, why, can't you waitress? Can't you? There's got to be some other way. And as I learned culturally of the Thai people, incredibly beautiful, respectful people, by the way. As I walked in the slums of where they live and where they come from, and the poverty is so incredible, and I watched as young girls, the responsibility of their job, of their life, they put the weight of the responsibility of the financial responsibility on their shoulders. As moms sold their daughters into the bars at a very young age because they need to make money. and I, I can't understand this, as girls would leave and go back home because they, they couldn't handle what they were having to do in these bars, the moms would then sell them back. I, I couldn't understand the, what has happened to them at such an early age. I watched as these women don't really have a choice. They have zero education. They can't read, they can't write, and the weight of their family is on their shoulders and they have to send money back every month so their family can eat because most of their family members are sick. They have 10, 13 brothers or sisters. The mom can't work. Uh, The husband, the dad is gone. And the reality started to see is that when you take choice away, there is no freedom. So night after night, we would go into these bars and we would talk with these girls and they're young and they're kind and they're shamed of what they're doing and it was heartbreaking. It was almost beyond what I could deal with. At one point, I was sitting in the bar talking with a girl and I'll just give you this one story and keep it PG, but they aren't clothed. And one girl is on a stage and she's um, doing some things and covering her body and has her head down. And I asked our translator, what's her story? And she said, she must be new. She's not tough enough yet. Wow. And I just was like, I gotta get out of here. I can't take this anymore. And so I just prayed, God, what do you want me to do here? What do you, this feels so big and so overwhelming. Why did you send me here? I mean, I don't even have influence. You know, what do you want me to do here? And he just spoke to my heart and he said, I just want you to see her. Not see her the way everybody else does because see in Thailand, this is the lowest of the low. They cannot get a job. They age out, they're homeless and on the streets and then they become prostitutes for the Thai people in exchange for cigarettes. This is, this is their lot in life. They can't even go back to their home. There's so much shame. What do you want me to do, God? He just said, I just want you to see her. You see her? That's my daughter. She's my beloved. Will you love her? Will you see her? Yeah, how? And as I got to meet an incredible lady named Benita, she is American. She works with the Thai people. She's been there for 14 years and has started a home that has partnered with World Help to rescue these women, to give them a home, to give them education, to teach them English, and to give them love. I started to see, wow, you're doing all of this. I mean, it takes so much work to get one girl out because the weight of financial weight responsibility is on her. And not only that, but she owes a fine. So they go through World Help and they pay this fine and they give her money for every week. It's not as much as she would make in the bars. They give her an education, they give her a trade. I'm like, why isn't it full in here? Why isn't every girl flocking to this? I mean, this was my mindset. Like, why isn't every girl coming out like, I just wanna be free? And she said, Carrie, you have to understand, this is is a big deal for them. They have to pay for their family. Many of them feel that responsibility so heavy, their family puts so much pressure on them. And so it's hard for them to leave and the shame keeps them stuck. They fear the freedom that could come. They don't understand love in that kind of way. And yet she persists on day after day. I thought, how can you sit in this every day? 
And she said, if I don't go, who will? So I was talking to Benita, and I have a lot of questions, as you may may uh, gather from me. Everyone else, I don't know why they didn't. I had, like, hi, me again. Uh, another question. Uh, and I, because I, I work through the grid of counseling, because I run a counseling and coaching center here in Orange County. It's another job I do. Um, and, and so everything goes to the grid of trauma and understanding trauma. And so I start asking all these questions, like, how do you guys do trauma counseling? I, and she said, oh, ties don't have a word for trauma. What? <laughs> so, so how do you convey trauma? How do, you, how do they work through all that they has been in? 95% have been sexually molested from the time they were little kids. Many of them have been sold into the sex trafficking industry when they were very little. Little boys, when the family doesn't have a little girl, the little boys are chosen for them that they will be a little girl. So how do we sit in this? Like, how do you work through that? What, what do you offer to them? What counseling do you give? She goes, she's a counselor, by the way. And she goes, yeah, it's really hard. So what do you do? How, how do you explain what has happened to them? Do they know that it's wrong? She says, kind of. They don't really have a word for abuse. Most of them are physically abused by their families. They're sexually abused. They're sexually exploited. And I'm like, how do they walk in freedom? I walk into the home that Benita runs, and all the girls line up, and they share their name, what they want to be. They've been living here for a little bit, all of them rescued from these bars, young girls. And I hear laughter, like little girl laughter. And they're giggling and sharing. One wants to be a chef. One wants to be a social worker. One wants to be a lawyer. One wants to be a stewardess, which I thought was amazing. Um, I'm like, you got all that? And she was like, I want to be a stewardess. I want to travel the world. One cooked dinner for us. And I started to hear the laughter. And I went back to Benita and I said, Benita. How have you helped them? How have you spoken truth into them? And she just looked at me, Benita's 78. And she said, oh, Carrie, you're so American. (laughs) She said, you know, you want to fix everything. You want to have answers and solutions and put a bow on it. and, And it's messy and it doesn't work out like this. But God's love conquers this. And I go, how, Benita? And so I start to share with her my insights on trauma. That went over well. I, I told her, I said, and there's this, and I, what's funny, and I just share this caveat with you, is that I don't believe actually some of the stuff I'm telling her, but I'm told from my colleagues that this is how it goes. So there's this book, I won't tell you what it is because I don't want you to read it. And, and the book says in there, there's two trees, there are two oak trees, and, and one is watered and it's growing well and it grows into this giant oak tree because it had all the sun and all the water and all the soil. And then there's another oak tree, same kind of tree, but it's been tethered down. And when the ropes are released, the tree starts to grow again, but because in its formative years it had been tethered down for so long, it will never grow to its potential. This is trauma and what it happens in the brain. And, and I'm reading about this and, and I, I, I see that, okay, so, so maybe, you know, when we've experienced really heavy trauma, we might not ever be the oak that we could be, but, but, you know, we can still grow, but, but trauma will always be kind of there and, and it, it does hinder what we could fully be. And I'm telling her this and I go, so, so is this what they're sitting in? And 78 year old Benita, missionary, by the way, uh, uh, for her whole life looks at me and she goes, wow, that's absolute crap. (laughs) And I'm like, what? I said, please tell me why it's crap. And she said, no, no, her being tethered down doesn't mean that she will never be the oak tree that she's supposed to be. That's crap. And she said, Carrie, this isn't about the girls. This isn't about you wondering about their trauma and if they'll ever be the tree that they're supposed to be or ever understand. This is about you. You're looking at the girls and you're wanting to fix and you're wanting to solve because for some reason in your own life, you haven't been able to grasp the fact that you are the oak 
that the trauma in your own life does not dictate that you are met a mere shrub or a little tree. Carrie, this isn't about my girls. This is about you. Tears in my eyes and I, I thought, God, she's so right. I'm so trying to figure out how I can get past the trauma and have res resonated myself, resigned myself to the idea that maybe I'll never be the oak. That's okay, because I've experienced so much trauma, but at least I'm growing now. I'll, I'll grow to the potential of what I could be. And she just said, it's crap. She said, Carrie, she came back to me a day later. Benita and I had had exchanges the whole week because every time I'd go, hi, me again. Uh, another thought just kept sharing with me. I said, how do they heal, Benita? She said, because sometimes, Carrie, God supernaturally shows up in unexplainable ways. You see, you don't understand suffering. They understand suffering. I'm like, I know suffering. She's like, do you? And she said, you know, they understand kingship. They have a king. You don't have a king. It's all freedom and it's great and whatever, but we don't understand that surrender, that submission to a king. They understand that. They understand what it means to suffer. I go, don't they ask, like, why would God let this happen to me? And she goes, very rarely. I go, why? Why wouldn't they ask that? And she says, because this extravagant love, they can't fathom that. See, they understand that life is hard and life was not meant to be well here because there was a fall. But God, King of kings, Lord of lords, has come in and rescued them and called them their daughter. This is what they can't fathom. That no one in my own land would speak to me. I'm the lowest of the low, yet there's a king that loves me? I go and read a scripture in Jeremiah 17, verse five, it says, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord for he will be like a bush in the desert. He will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness. Verse seven said, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is in the Lord for he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by the stream and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in the year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. You see, the, I'm not dwarfed by my trauma. They're not dwarfed by their trauma. We're dwarfed when we trust in man or give strength to our flesh or turn away from God. This is when we're dwarfed. But when we excel, when we triumph, we will be like a tree that is planted by the waters. When we allow God to come in and we say, it is not my trauma that defines me. It is not my past that defines me. I can let it go. How can these girls let it go? And I'm telling you right now because they believe with all their heart that I'm not a bush. I'm not a dwarfed tree. I'm a child of God. And more than any of us could understand, they believe it. They've been seen and known by their father in heaven, Psalms. Chapter one starts off with how blessed, which in the Greek means how happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He, she will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in seasons and its leaves does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. You see, these girls started to realize that they weren't created to be pleasure for someone else. They were created for purpose. And that there was a plan for them. They were lawyers. They were social workers. They were stewardesses. They started to realize that God loved them and saw them. In Colossians, 
Chapter two, verse six through seven says, and you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Let me tell you what I saw. I saw girls who by all intents and purposes should hate God, hate themselves, and hate man. And yet, something happened. A supernatural exchange happened. May I be so desperate. May I understand loss so deeply. May I be open to the love of Jesus to come in and exchange my old roots for new ones. May I be this open to this. Break my heart for what breaks yours. God's like, do you see them? I see them, God, what do you want me to do? Let them change you, Carrie because they see me the way you need to see me. You see, they're my heroes. They're the brave ones. I change the world with girls like this. I change the world with guys like this. This is what I do. Lady boys, these are the ones I love. These are the boys who sit in the home who say, I don't know all that has happened to me. I can't even wrap my mind around it. But let me tell you, in all the trauma, Jesus loves me. Hear this clearly, brothers and sisters. It is not grace that saved them. It is mercy that saw them and loved them. Although they were still sinners, Christ died for them. And although you are still a sinner, Christ died for you. That's God's mercy. But let me tell you about God's grace. You see, we misunderstand grace here in America. We like it like a little comfortable word. Oh, the grace of God. No, the grace of God is the power within you supernaturally to start to turn from what is evil from what is hurtful, from what is shameful, and give you the power supernaturally to start walking in a new life. For the old has passed away, behold the new has come. This is not mercy, this is grace. Mercy is the thing that looks down and says, I love you despite you. I love you in the midst of all that you have done, but it is grace that doesn't keep you stuck there. It is grace that gives you the power to turn and start to leave that which is shameful, to start to give you a new life and a new name, not a stunted, dwarfed tree, but an oak. Many years ago, and I'll end with this, but many years ago, I went with my sister on a road trip and we went to the Redwoods and she goes, because she's young, I want to get a tattoo to commemorate this. I'm like, oh, brother. (laughs) I said, I'm not getting anything on my body that doesn't mean something beyond this moment. It's got to mean something more. And we're in the Redwoods. Just let's get a tree. Okay, great. Let's get a tree. And I get this little tree on my arm. I'm sitting talking with Benita as tears are filling my eyes and she goes, Carrie... This is so much less about these girls and so much about you. And I just looked at her, I said, I still carry some of the shame of my past. And she goes, you gotta let it go, Carrie. You're not a dwarfed bush. You are a woman of influence because of Christ in you, not because of what you've done, but because what Christ has done. And she looks down at my arm and she goes, what is that on your arm? (laughs) I said, Benita. It's a tree. And she goes, Carrie, you're the oak. You're the oak. I mean, if you guys didn't think I was wrecked then, I'm like, Maria, I'm the oak. She said, you're the oak. I will never, ever be able to thank God enough for the women of Thailand, for the men in Thailand, for Benita. Here, God is always working on both sides. He knew I was going to come. He knew I had a big mouth. He knew I'd tell people about these wonderful women and try to get you to give money to help them. But he also knew that I am still carrying shame. That when I looked at those girls, I thought, I am no different than them. And he said, it's my mercy, Carrie, that makes you understand you're no different than, but it's my grace 
that gave you the power to change your name. And I just think some of us still live. We say we're free, but we still hold on to the shame of our past, the shame of today. So you don't need more mercy. You just need more grace. And that's what's being offered to you today. You, my friends, you're the oak. You're not dwarfed. You're not stunted. It's crap. <laughs> it's crap. Counseling's not crap, but it's crap. <laughs> We're going to just spend some time. I'm so over. Welcome when I'm here. We're just going to spend some time in some worship and, and have a couple songs, and then they'll come back out and just kind of lead us in communion. But man, we're not so different. We're not so different than the girls and the boys in Thailand. We're not so different than the mamas and the babies at the border. We're just not so different. I think we're just all in this together. And it's an equal playing field. And we all have influence because of God's mercy. And we have power because of God's grace. I hope that you would sit in that today as you contemplate what do you need to let go? My mighty oaks. God, be with us this morning as you meet with our hearts and speak truth to who we really are. As we sing before you, God, some of us need to sing out in victory. Some of us need to sing out in tears. Some of us need to just sit and hear and not sing at all. But I pray, God, that you would help us to be thankful and grateful for your mercy, but that we would grab hold of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I met a girl named Dong, and she was in the bars, and she got out. She went to the home, blessing home, and uh, with World Help, and uh, she has 13 brothers and sisters, and her older sister forfeited her right to go into the home. Well, at first she did, because she wanted her younger sister, Dong, to be saved and rescued. And in turn, World Help was able to not only rescue Dong, but her older sister. And I just wanted to let you know that as heavy as the message that I gave this morning, God is working. You see, Dong not only accepted Jesus, but her older sister accepted Jesus, and all of her 13 brothers and sisters accepted Jesus, and her parents. And Dong's sister now started a home church with her husband in Laos, which is communist. It's communist there communist country, and started a home church there. I just want you to know that the reason why God says that you're an oak is not because of how great you are, but because of your story and what God's done. And I don't want you to leave here thinking that your story disqualifies you. It's the very thing that qualifies you. It's the very thing that qualifies you, is what God has done in your life. You see, I'm a woman of influence. You're a woman of influence. You're a man of influence, not because of how great you are, but because how great God is in your story. You are a mighty oak. Could you stand with me so I could pray over you? We love Vox. We love that this is a place where you let me vent. <laughs> you let me share. Not too many churches would allow me to come in and share in tears about my experience in Thailand. Uh, thank you for that. Thank you that I get to work out the fact that I'm processing my own shame and my own stuff right here in front of you. I don't know if that's what's supposed to happen, but that's what we do here. Uh, if you like that, and if you're into that, um, and if you want to see that keep going, here's my my shameless plug that says we need you to give and be a part of what we're doing here. Uh, we have participation boxes in the, in the side, over on the side there, and you can give. And that's part of creating the space that we allow this to happen. We're really safe to talk about anything where your pastor is kind of messy and we're all in this together. So if you love that, because I do, um, would you consider praying about giving? And uh, if you're new here, we're so glad you're here. 
come again another week, give it another try. I'm a little iffy today, uh, but we're just so glad you're here. I want to pray a blessing over each and every single one of you. I don't have powerful prayers. There's nothing special about my prayers, but there is something special when we usher God and Holy Spirit into this place, and I believe that I want to just pray over you an absolute blessing. So if you just put your hands out as a posture of receiving, nothing magical about it, but I think we hold our hands like this a lot. And if you just would hold this, I would love to pray God's blessing upon you to receive. God, I just pray for your presence here. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. I pray for those that have been steeped in stuff that is just breaking their hearts. God, would you release some of that today? Would you allow them to see that it's your mercy that sees them, it's your grace that empowers them? Would you help them to see that today is the day that they can actually put it at the feet of the cross? Maybe they need to get honest with somebody. Maybe they just need to get honest with you. But I pray, God, that confession would be a part of their day today, that honesty would be a part of their day, to not walk in shame, but to walk in confession that brings freedom. I pray today that they would not see themselves through the grid of their shame, but that they would see themselves through the grid of your love, through the grid of your mercy, to be empowered by your grace. I pray that you would rise up mighty oaks all over this room so we would unite together with our voices that would affect the United States, that would affect Thailand, that would affect Cambodia, that would affect India, that would affect to every corner of the world. That in our little space here in Vox, as we gather together with our arms kind of linked together, where we're all in this together, that we wouldn't let it just stay here stagnant, but that we would walk out of this room and let freedom go out into all the ends of the earth. The freedom says, I see you, I love you, God's mercy sees you, it's God's grace that that empowers you for freedom. I pray for the mighty oaks in this room. I pray that as they reject that idea that you would speak loudly this week, oh no, what she says is true. You are my mighty oak. It is your story that makes you mighty. It is your story that qualifies you because you've allowed it to be present in my hands. And in my hands, I do miraculous things. When the world says you are forgotten, I say you are seen. When the world says you have no right to be here, I say you sit at my right hand. Help us never forget who you are and the power you hold. Break a chain, God. Move in this room. Empower us to unite our voice and be mighty oaks all over this planet. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Love you guys. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.